this episode of our Construction Law Back to Basics podcast, a series of podcasts by Stevens and Bolton's construction engineering team designed to provide listeners with an overview of the core construction law principles you need to be aware of throughout the key stages of a construction project. Whether you're procuring a professional team or looking to do a claim, our series of podcasts hopes to provide you with a succinct summary of the practical points that need to be at the forefront of your mind as a project moves from conception to completion. I'm Samuel Burnage, a trainee solicitor at Stevens and Bolton, and I'm joined today by Claire Perry, a senior associate in the team, to discuss what you need to think about at procurement and how to get a construction project off the ground. Thank you, Sam. So in today's podcast, we will be looking at who might be involved in a project, the different types of procurement, how the nature of a project affects procurement, and who takes on the risk and responsibility on a project. So Claire, given that, let's start by first touching on what procurement actually is. So please could you give us a short summary on what procurement is? Of course. So in short, procurement is simply the name we use for the process of an employer obtaining third party services for the completion of a construction project. So this can include various consultants and contractors and takes into account different factors, including the allocation of design and construction risk. There are several different procurement routes someone can take when initiating a construction project, which I'm sure we'll come on to later. But to start, Sam, perhaps you'd like to quickly run through the different parties which might be involved in a construction project. Yes, of course. Depending on the type of project, there may be various professional consultants involved in any one project, such as an architect, quantity surveyor and special engineers, like structural engineers or mechanical and electrical engineers. There may also be planning consultants or other specialists. There will also be one or more contractors who will complete the works. Depending on the procurement method used, the employer may only contract with one main contractor for the whole of the works, who will use specialised subcontractors. Or the employer may contract with a number of different trade contractors for specific elements of the works. It is worth noting that there may be to be other parties you may need to consider, such as tenants of the building or, if you're a tenant, landlords, and whether any consents or other requirements need to be satisfied before being able to start the project. There may also be funders to the project that may have their own requirements on how the project is structured and on what they may need to see. Thank you, Sam. So let's do a quick overview of the most common procurement routes. So the two most commonly used are the traditional route and the design and build route. Both of these types of procurement involve appointing a main contractor for the whole of the works and can use standard form contracts such as JCT or NEC or bespoke contracts. Two other less common procurement routes used in the UK are management contracting and construction management. These are not as common at the current time but can be very useful with the right employer and for the right project. I will just mention that there is also a form of procurement known as partnering but this is relatively rare in the UK and is a separate topic by itself, so we don't intend to discuss this any further today. So, Sam, can you briefly explain what we mean by the traditional procurement route? So, the traditional procurement route, as the name would suggest, is the procurement route which has been used for the longest time. Under this method, an employer engages a contractor to carry out the construction works in accordance with the designs produced by the employer's professional team. The employer and his design team retain complete control and responsibility for the design throughout the construction process, and the contractor responsible for the construction only. There is a complete division of responsibility. Yes, yeah, so contrast that with the design and build route, more commonly known simply as D&B, where as opposed to being responsible for just construction, the contractor takes on responsibility for some or all, often all of the design. As part of the tender process, the employer submits its requirements to the contractor, which will include designs prepared to date, and the contractor responds by submitting its lump sum price for the project, together with its proposals for completing the design. 
While the industry standard forms of contract make the contractor only responsible for its part of the design, in practice, many employers using the DMB route will require the contractor to be responsible for the whole of the design, including the employer's requirements and any initial designs prepared by the employer's design team. Design and build offers employers a more integrated approach and allows them to pass risk and responsibility for the whole project onto one single contractor. This is particularly helpful for employers who lack expertise in construction and who might be happy to be less involved in the construction process. DMB can be quicker than traditional procurement as the contractor is able to complete the design while the works are progressing. And it can also be cheaper as the contractor has an element of control over the design and materials used. The design and build route has become increasingly popular over recent years, where employers appreciate being able to have a single point of responsibility in the event of any issues arising. So those are the two main procurement routes. But what about the management procurement options? Sam? So management contracting and construction management are often grouped together, known as the management routes. However, they are very different. In construction management, the employer also engages its own professional design team and a construction manager is employed to manage the construction works. The difference is that the construction manager is employed as part of the employer's team to advise on construction, as well as managing it. The construction manager is engaged under a construction management agreement and is paid a fee for its services. The subcontractors or trade contractors who carry out the work are engaged directly by the employer rather than by the construction manager, and there is no single main contract. The construction manager is responsible for carrying out its services with skill and care, but beyond this, it's not responsible for the activities of the trade contractors and has no liability for the work themselves. In the event of an issue, the employer needs to determine which trade contractor or consultant is responsible. So Claire, how does the nature of the project affect procurement and why would we choose one type of procurement over another? So each type of procurement has its own advantages and disadvantages, and each employer may rank some issues higher than others. Similarly, each project has its own specific challenges, meaning that it may be more suited to one form of procurement than another. So issues to take in consideration might typically include time requirements, complexity of the project, quality requirements, potential for client changes during the construction, whether early cost certainty is a high priority, design risk and responsibility, and how much day-to-day -day control the client wants to have over the project. It is just worth mentioning that along with the type of procurement, an employer can also consider whether to adopt a single or two-stage tender approach when procuring its construction project. Very briefly, a traditional single-stage tender process involves asking contractors to submit a bid for the works in a competitive tender process on the basis of completed designs and documents prepared by the employer. This is what most people think of as the standard tender process, where the selected contractor typically has no pre-construction involvement in the project. Alternatively, we are increasingly seeing the use of two-stage tendering. So this allows the early appointment of a contractor prior to the completion of all the information required to enable them to offer a fixed price. In the first stage, a limited appointment is agreed, called a pre-construction services agreement or PCSA, allowing the contractor to begin work and often participate in the design process. Then in the second stage, a fixed price is negotiated for the final building contract. The employer can decide to continue with the first stage contractor for the building contract or to terminate the PCSA and tender for a different contractor to complete the works. In theory, the early involvement of the contractor should improve the buildability and cost certainty of the design, as well as creating a better integrated project team and reducing the likelihood of disputes or variations during the project. It helps the client to transfer design risk to the contractor. However, the client does inevitably lose leverage as the contractor becomes embedded in the team and competition is less of a threat. 
So overall, there are two main types of procurement being traditional and design and build. There are alternatives for clients with different requirements, and the choice over which type to use is dependent on the nature of the project and how the employer prioritises the key considerations mentioned previously. It is also worth remembering that a key distinction between the types of procurement is the allocation of risk and responsibilities, with the design and build contract being able to provide a single point of responsibility for both the design and the works. Just on this, although design and build procurement can offer this single point of responsibility, the extent of this is dependent on the terms of the specific contract. And for example, the JCT design and build contract 2016 does not create this single point of responsibility. It is it is therefore common for the employer to amend the standard form contract to make the contractor responsible for all of the design works. I think this highlights the need to be careful of the terms of the contract and to ensure that the contract properly governs the relationship between the parties. To this end, in our next podcast, we'll be exploring the key elements to consider when thinking about what needs to be included in the construction contracts. I hope you found this podcast helpful as a summary of procurement and of the considerations to have in mind when structuring a construction project. Yeah, so thank you for tuning in today and listening to this podcast. If you have any questions or would like any further information on what we have discussed, please don't hesitate to get in touch with myself, Sam, or your usual Stevenson Bolton contact. We hope you'll join us for the next podcast I mentioned before in our Back to Basics series, where I'll be joined by Christopher Lamb, an associate in the team, to look at the contents of construction contracts.